0: It's hope for tomorrow that gives you fuel for today. And every day, we need fresh fuel, don't we? Because everyday living can be hard. I think about what some of our friends at CBC have been facing lately. A loving wife and adult children watching an unresponsive dad just linger on and on week after week in a hospital. A young couple having to say goodbye to a newborn baby. A successful can-do business leader now struggling with the after effects of a stroke. Um, The list is long. And I'm guessing that something is going on in your life that is unsettling. You're confused, you're concerned, you feel alone, abandoned, forgotten about, just by everyone, maybe even God. Because see, we're living in a fallen world. And at times, we all feel like we're in captivity. We feel like we're trapped. We feel like we're enslaved. We feel like God is nowhere, or at least He's nowhere close to us. We've all been there, right? And because of all of that, you're just out of gas. And you just don't know how you're going to keep going. Well, we need to get our heads around something today. And we need to get our hearts fixed on a central truth of our faith today. Your hope for heaven is your fuel for today. Because you see, this new life that we have in Christ can only be lived out if we maintain an eternal perspective. Now, now throughout the Bible, God's people uh, felt often like you may be feeling today. And we're going to look at how God's people felt betrayed and oppressed and abandoned by God. But they were still able to find fuel. And we're going to look at how a spiritual leader named Ezekiel helped God's people not only survive, but actually thrive. So open your Bibles today to Ezekiel chapter 48, look at verse 35. We give away Bibles here. If you don't have one, if you're a guest, you'd like a... This is a really cool Bible. It's on page 598. You can pick one up out there in the foyer. So let me set the table here. God's people have been living in their promised land, Israel, And they went through cycles of pursuing God and experiencing His favor and then forgetting God and feeling His discipline. And this goes on and on. And finally, just God says, enough. Enough. So He sends a foreign army from Babylon to ransack the nation, to destroy the temple, and to take the people away to captivity. So God's people are now held captive and they're oppressed in a foreign land. So they are physically and emotionally and spiritually bankrupt. And then God raises up a leader, Ezekiel, to speak his word to his people. And so the very first part of Ezekiel is him letting the people know that this captivity that they're experiencing is God's judgment for their sin. And Ezekiel sees the glory of God departing from the temple because of the unfaithfulness of God's people, uh, the first part of this book is really about judgment. And then the tune changes in the second part of the book. And Ezekiel starts to give hope. Uh, the surrounding nations are going to be judged for their sin. And the people of God who were dead to the things of God will be revived. Dry bones come together or covered with muscles and flesh and the breath of God comes on them and they breathe the life of God. They become a mighty army. And then finally, in the last eight chapters, Ezekiel has a vision and he's taken on a tour of where the people of God will one day live. It's a new temple. It's a new city. It's a new land. Now this book has 48 chapters and they all culminate in the last half of the very last verse. And what Ezekiel is doing here is he is saving the very best for last. This is the ultimate for Ezekiel. It is how he is seeking to encourage God's people who are downcast. It's how he's giving them the fuel that they need to make it every day during their captivity. So, so let's look at it. Last part of the last verse. And the name of the city from that time on shall be Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Now, people who are kind of obsessed with uh, Bible prophecy and eschatology and end-time teachings, they have all kinds of opinions about what this means and how it's going to play out in modern-day Israel and Jerusalem. You know, do we interpret this literally or figuratively or a combination of both? Is this something that happened in the past or is this something that will happen in the future? Is this talking about the church right now? Is this talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth? Is this about heaven? You know, I'm just going to tell you right up. I am not going to try to explain to you when or how this is going to happen. I mean, I did a lot of reading this week. And here's one of my dusty commentaries. (laughs) It's written by a guy named John Gill. Listen to what he says. This, he starts in chapter 40, and the eight following chapters contain a vision of a city and a temple herein described and are thought to be the most difficult part of the whole Bible. The Jews, the ancient Jews, forbid the reading of it till a man is arrived to 30 years of age. So I sent an email to Chad this week. I said, hey, Chad, thank you for giving me a verse in the most difficult part of the whole Bible to explain to people. Appreciate that. Thanks for the love. One of the greatest Bible teachers uh, ever was an Englishman named Charles Spurgeon. And here's what he wrote. The prophet Ezekiel has been telling us many remarkable things which I shall not attempt to explain to you. And my chief reason for not doing so is the fact that I do not understand them. So we're all in good company today. I mean, if you are here maybe and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus because you find the Bible is a hard book to understand, then you need to know you are surrounded by people who don't understand it all. And you're being taught by a guy today who doesn't understand it all. But I want to share what little bit that I do understand with you in a way that I hope will fuel and energize you. Because you probably have something going on in your life that is unsettling. And like the people of God in Ezekiel's day, you feel alone and abandoned and forgotten. But because the Lord is there, because Jehovah Shammah, you can live with greater joy and greater purpose. Now, technically, Jehovah Shammah is a name for the renewed city of God rather than a name for God. But is so closely associated with God's presence and power that it's often used as a name for God. So, Shammah, Shammah. Uh, There. Uh, Guess guess what this means. It means there. (laughs) Uh, There means there. The ball is over there. It's not here. It's there. So the name the Lord is there actually means the Lord is there. Ezekiel is actually describing the actual presence of God in the new city. Now, we have to take a time out, think about this, God is everywhere all of the time. Scholars use a big word to describe this attribute of God. He's omnipresent. Uh, He's always present everywhere. But sometimes God is present to bless. Other times God is present to Judge Now here, when Ezekiel uses the name Jehovah Shammah, he is letting us know that there will be a day in a new land, in a new city, in a new temple, that the Lord will be there in a special way to bless his people forever and ever with his presence in unimaginable ways. And Ezekiel is saying to the people here, I, I know you feel like God has abandoned you. And I know the Lord's presence for blessing has gone from you for now. And I know you're here being held captive against your will. And I know you're hurting. And I know you're oppressed. And I know all that. But you need to know something. One day, the curse will be reversed. And you will be in the best place with the best person. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And you know what? That is His message to you today i mean you're feeling trapped feeling alone feeling oppressed when you're discouraged about the way things are going you got to lift your eyes to a person who has a place for you jehovah shammah the lord is there you see your hope for heaven is your fuel for today We just have to wrap our minds around this truth. We need to get our hearts fixed on this central truth of our faith today. Now, we know in Cleveland here how this thing works, right? I mean, how do we make it through January and February and March, these brutal winters? And don't say, it's because I know that someday I'm going to move to North Carolina. Don't say that. No, how do do we make it through January, February, and March? It's because we know May, June, and July are coming. We get this in Cleveland. I mean, how do we make it through another 4-12 brown season? It's because we know a Super Bowl is... Well, I'm pressing it now. I'm stretching a little too far. But you get the idea, right? The people in Ezekiel's day are encouraged to look forward, to look up with expectation of a better city in the future. And they're supposed to look forward to a person and a place, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. And that is what helped them endure their suffering, their oppression, and their captivity. Now, I believe that Ezekiel 48.35 is a signpost in the Old Testament that points us to the day when we will experience Jehovah Shema fully and finally. And you can see this in Revelation chapter 21. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven with God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, And he goes on to say, I am making everything new. And he goes on to say, write this down because these words are trustworthy and these words are true. And I know there may be some people here today thinking, oh, come on, enough of this pie in the sky after you die garbage. It's all just wishful thinking. It's all just a fairy tale. Get your head out of the clouds. And I get why you might be thinking that. But consider this, has anything on this planet, in this life, fully and finally satisfied you? Anything? I mean, aren't there longings in your heart that no vacation, no relationship, no job, no possession, no experience can ever meet? C.S. Lewis wrote this, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction For those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well. There's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well. There's such a thing as water. If we find ourselves. With a desire. That nothing in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation. Is that we were made. For another world. you are made for another world. And what makes heaven heaven. Is the fact that. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. I'm looking forward to a lot of things in heaven. I mean, you think strawberries taste good? Just wait till you bite into one there. (laughs) You, You think walking on a beach at a sunset is awesome? Well, you just wait till you see the sunset there. I mean, you think that concert that you went to last year was the best Just wait. If you think that family reunion you experienced was amazing, just wait until God gathers your grandmother and grandfather and mom and dad and aunt and uncle. See, every good and every godly pleasure that you have ever experienced is only a shadow of what's to come. But the best thing, by infinity, will be experiencing the Lord himself. Think about it. Suppose you're sick and then you have a friend who wants to come and bring you a meal. I mean, what is it that jazzes you? What is it that meets your needs? What do you get excited about? Is it the meal or the friend? Well, I hope it's both, right? I hope it's both. But think about it. The friend is better because you don't get the meal without the friend. And the meal is the secondary desire. Your friend is the highest desire because your friend is the source of the secondary desire. You with me? All stuff we're going to enjoy in heaven is only there because He's there. So He's our highest desire. I mean, we're going to want the strawberries and the beaches and the concerts in heaven and a multitude of other things, but know that they only come to us because of the Lord is there. And when we anticipate that day, we get energy and we get passion for this day. And some of you, you're just not buying it. Because you've bought into kind of a worn-out mantra. Some people are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. And you wonder, well, where's that in the Bible? Because that's got to be in the Bible somewhere because that sounds so good, right? But think with me. The greatest person who ever walked this planet was both heavenly-minded and earthly good. And that's Jesus. Jesus. And here's what Jesus would say. It's too. It's impossible to be too heavenly minded. He goes, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not true, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, Jehovah Shammah, there you may be also. See, over and over and over in the Bible, it tells us to be heavenly minded. Why aren't we? Well, here's why. Because we've made idols out of this world and this life. We're focused on gaining earthly comforts and experiences and pleasures and possessions. And guess what? It's making us miserable. Because we've turned this world into our home. We've made idols out of the things of this world. And this is why God commands us to hope for heaven. Colossians chapter 3, if then you have been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Titus chapter 2, he tells us to wait for our blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the problem with us is not that we're too heavenly minded. It's just the opposite. Most of us are so worldly minded that we are of little heavenly good and little earthly good. Again, C.S. Lewis, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it my main object of life to press onto that country and to help others do the same. You know, we have all kinds of misinformation about heaven. You know, it's a silly myth. We'll fly around with wings, float around with clouds. We want to be boring in heaven. You know, I, I, we'll have to be good all the time. I don't want to be good all the time. I like to party. <laughs> Listen, heaven is a party. I mean, we've been duped by the enemy to somehow think God is boring. God isn't boring. God is amazing. And wherever the Lord is, boredom will be impossible. I mean, we think we're fun-loving and God's a humorless killjoy. The Lord invented laughter. The Lord invented adventure. The Lord invented new experiences. I mean, just look at creation. Look in the mirror and laugh. (laughs) In heaven, we will never exhaust God's sense of humor and his love for excitement. Heaven is where the one who is infinite in creativity lives. How could the home of someone like that be less than exciting? I mean, when the omnipotent person creates the ultimate place, it gives maximum pleasure. And that's what we're waiting for. So what's a hopeless situation for you right now? Something where you might be saying is probably not going to get much better. God has something to help you keep hope alive, and it's Jehovah Shema. We don't think enough about the beauty and the glory and the wonder and the magnificence and the triumph of heaven. And so our hearts have shrunk and our hope has dwindled. We have minimized eternity and marginalized one of God's greatest realities. Heaven is our home. It's it's our reward. It gives us relief from our trials. It's an everlasting Easter and a never-ending Christmas. It's the end of death. It's, it's an ongoing, ever-growing experience of God. And in heaven is our greatest good. God himself, Jehovah Shema. Do you, do you have a hunger for heaven? See, your, your hope for heaven is your fuel for today. Now, some of us are thinking, okay, 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 okay. come on, come on. Let, can you do something practical here? This is just not practical. Let me give you two reasons why this is practical. Here's the first. This is fuel for joy. Most of us are anxious and frustrated and miserable. Why? Because we're living for today. We're trying to make this life heaven. We want to make sure our relationships are working and we settle into what we hope is a good job, drive a nice car, get the right house in the right neighborhood. want to make sure our health is secure. We try to manage it all. And because it's a fallen world, something inevitably is going to go wrong. And then we're miserable because we can't make this heaven. And we've lost sight of our blessed hope. We've forgotten our citizenship is in heaven. See, God has made us to want Him, to find our greatest joy in being with Him. And when we are there, in His presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 1611. And yes, you may be in captivity, but just wait. Jehovah Shema is coming. Romans 818. For the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The more we think about seeing Jesus there, the less we worry when life gets messy here. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17. "This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. See, this is fuel for joy. I can have joy because I'm anticipating something coming. And second, this is fuel for, for justice. See, thinking more about heaven will actually mobilize us to live more faithfully right here. I mean, as I think about being with the Lord in a place that is full of love and justice and freedom and dignity for everyone, then I am inspired to help people, everybody I know, get just a little taste of heaven in the here and now. A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. The Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. I am mean, the reason you're not out there on mission trying to fix something that's broken in this world It's probably because you're not in touch with the ultimate place and the ultimate person. Thinking about heaven won't make us complacent or indifferent. It sets us free to be generous. It sets us free to fight for injustice or to fight for justice. We don't need to buy that car or upgrade the house. Because I'm not trying to live in heaven here. This world's not my home. I want to lay up treasure there, not here. So... I'm going to be looking for that hurting person to bless. I'm going to be looking for places to give my money away. Treasure in heaven is laid up only as treasure on earth is laid down. So we want to see Cleveland experience transformation. We want to see broken people restored. We want to see children who don't know how to read well start reading well. We want to see people rescued from the sex slave industry. We want to see water wells drilled for people that don't have clean water. We want to see hospitals built. We want to see the underprivileged served. We want to see the impoverished enriched. Why? Because we've got our eyes fixed on the place that's secure for us, and I can lay down my stuff here to help him or her experience a taste of heaven and then ultimately meet Christ so they go to heaven. This is fuel for joy, and this is fuel for justice. You know, recently my uh, friend Mark Zimmerman, who's uh, on the radio with WCRF, posted a question. Here's his question. Why is Tito Francona the best manager in baseball? (laughs) The Indians' manager. And then he shared a picture of a moving moment between the Indians' manager and one of his pitchers. This is a spring training picture. And here's what Mark wrote. A couple of days ago in Arizona, Tito went to the mound to take Blake Wood out of the game. He told catcher Luke Carlin to stay back a bit. It was at this moment that he let Wood know that he had made the team. The photographer didn't know what he was taking a picture of at the time. Tito's a gem. Now, when I saw that, it deeply moved me because I mean, I'm a former college player, minor league baseball player who dreamed of making it to the show. And then I never had that dream come true. So the picture brought tears to my eyes. Literally, I was deeply moved because I always wondered what would it be like to have a major league manager come up to you and say, you're on the team, you're in the show, you're in the bigs. I mean, if you look at the picture, you can kind of sense the pride and joy with Tito there. And you can sense the humility and the gratitude on Blake Wood's face. And I love that fatherly touch of congratulation to Blake's face. Because all the work and all the effort and all the striving has been worth it. Now, the story in the photo made me think about something much more significant. Every true child of God will have an even better dream come true when we stand before Jesus And he says, well done. You made it safely home. I am proud of you. You're on my team forever. And you will be with me, Jehovah Shammah, forever and ever and ever. Think of the victories we'll have, the fun we'll have, the adventures we'll live. I mean, imagine the pride and joy on Jesus' face. Imagine the humility and the gratitude on yours. Imagine the hand of Christ touching your face and welcoming you home. All the denial of self, all the carrying of your cross, all the suffering for the cause of Christ, all the buffeting of your body, it will all be worth it. What a day that will be. Are you ready for that day? I just, want you to, I just want you to begin to visualize yourself there. I mean, every day this week, just take some time to visualize yourself there. Maybe every day this week, just say, I'm going to go and I'm going to read the very two last chapters of the Bible all the way through, and I'm going to imagine myself there. Revelation 21 and 22. Just, just read it. Just marinate in it so that your soul begins to have the flavor of heaven and it begins to smell up your whole house, your whole neighborhood, everywhere you work. Marinate yourself in these truths every day. Just say, Jesus, I thank you that someday I'll get to hear you say, well done, welcome home, I'm proud of you. This is the view of tomorrow that can drive us for today. Now, I I just say, I don't want to die prematurely to get there. I want to be faithful to get there. So we're not talking about escapism here. I mean, hey, I got a lot of fun. I got the granddad granddad, uh, gig to live out. That's fun. And I want to take back some more ground from the devil while I'm here. I want to fight some more injustice while I'm here. I want to see the kingdom of God established on this earth. But while we're here, living in this world, there will be times when we will feel like we're in captivity and God is absent. But looking forward to the day when faith shall be sight and God shall be eternally there with us, will give us the vision, the fuel, and the hope to live faithfully here. Now, who who can have this kind of hope? Who is it who can be sure that they will be there where the Lord is there. And it's those who have been radically transformed by the grace of God. And is that you? Because you see, early in Ezekiel, the Lord says, what's necessary for people to be where the Lord is there? Listen to this. And I will give you, Ezekiel 36, a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Jesus said it this way. You must be born again. There needs to be a radical reorientation of your life. Around here we say you need new life in Christ. So that the old things pass away and the new things have come, has that happened to you? For those who have Christ as their Savior, this life is the closest they will ever come to hell. But for those who don't know Jesus as their Savior, this life is the closest you'll ever get to heaven. So you need Jesus. He came to take his people to heaven. He wants his people with him so much he paid a price on a cross. He died so that we would not have to die. Sin is so awful it requires a judgment. It requires death. It requires blood to be shed. But Jesus doesn't want his people to die. He suffered in our place on the cross to pay for our sin. And it is a gift that requires your response. And in a few minutes we're going to give you a chance to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you will be there where the Lord is there. One of my favorite series of books is the Chronicles of Narnia. And the character who, um, in the series, who is like the Lord, is a lion named Aslan. And the very last book in the series, and on the very last page, Aslan is talking to some children who have been with him on all these adventures in Narnia. And he says, you do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. And Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, says Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts leaped with a wild hope, rose within them. Aslan said, there was a real railway accident. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holiday has begun. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all live happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I love that. That's what we've got to look forward to. All that you've been through, all the misery and the victories, just the cover and the title page. One day. The real story begins. And every single page and every single chapter will be better than the one before because Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, is there. Think about it. Marinate in it. Let it fuel your today and your tomorrow and your next day. Let it bring you joy. Let it urge you toward justice. Our hope of heaven is our fuel for today. I don't know how you're going to respond to this. In your program, there's a set of responses. One is, I want to go to heaven. I want to be where the Lord is there forever. Forever. So today I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. There's a prayer in your program on the screen. Lord, I thank you that you've made a way for me to be where you are. I, I know that my sin has kept me from you. So today I turn from my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin so I can be with you forever. I believe He rose again. I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I will seek to obey you faithfully the rest of my life. You know, There's no magic prayer here, but if that's your prayer, if that's your desire... If you want to be with Him forever, then pray this prayer. Mean it from your heart, and you will be radically transformed. This is your invitation to new life in Christ. And for some of us here, I, I've not been setting my mind on the things above. The distractions of this world have blinded me, and it's been shown in my attitudes. So today, I'm going to ask God to help me refocus on the things above. Some of us, you're... You, Hey, you're not a good advertisement for Jesus. And you've been crabby and you've been miserable at home. And I just wonder, i just, I just throwing down the gauntlet here, just putting out the challenge here. What if for the next few days you just read and meditated on Revelation 21 and 22? What if you just thank Jesus, someday I'm going to be with you forever? What if... It just took some time to every day think about these things. Would it change you from this miserable, crabby, small-hearted person into someone with incredible, overwhelming, attractive joy? Lord Jesus, I pray that you might help us. Enjoy the anticipation of what's to come. For we pray it in Christ's name.